All right, Sarah, just keep your eyes on me. Now, don't look, Sarah. Sarah, look, Sarah, look at me. That's right. Just start to pull. Sarah, that's great. You're starting to look like a pro. Keep going. That's it, nice and easy. Hey, Al, we're gonna be out of a job soon. All right, a little more, Sarah. That's it. That's it. One, two. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we talk back. So, <laughs> oh man, we're ISO potting, and 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 Greg, uh, Greg becomes quite the the visual comic when we oh, on, sorry. The, on the Zoom calls. Half the time, but you can't see this because it's an audio format of, by nature. But you, half the time when we do these ISO pods, Greg's looking at his teeth. <laughs> oh, I haven't got to that yet. Camera. That happens about three <laughs> three glasses of red in. Welcome to Double Impact. Yeah. The podcast where we we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and to decide whether they hold up today or best left in the past, I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. It's another isopod, Tristan, for, you know, the, the third of and God knows how many. This could be going for some time. Mm. Um, I think when we were at the height of um, the initial wave of COVID, I think because we were, we were so lucky, we were very fortunate at the time, I think we only did like maybe two or three max isopods yeah. back then. Whereas um, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. You would yet. have to describe this as Australia's really done, or Sydney at least, has done the reverse Bradbury. Yeah, it's like a hare and the tortoise and where the – it felt like we were the tortoise because we were doing all the precautions mm. in terms of the ISO and stuff early on. But we found, it turns out we're the hare. Yes, and look, our numbers are still probably much lower than globally, but mm. we don't have things under control. No, we don't. Anywho, here we are, probably getting a little weirder each week. Well, speaking for myself. Oh, myself included. Let's get loopy. And our friends of the show out there in Sydney and other places that are locked down, we feel ya. We feel ya. We do. Uh, hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there. Support local business. Uh-huh. Speaking of, friends of the show, Kick-Ass Coffee Company, they sent us some coffee recently. Poor Greg hasn't had a chance to try it yet. because I haven't had any yet, but a big thank you. Let me tell you, they call it kick-ass for a reason. This coffee, it's strong. I need it. Um, so they sent, us, they sent us a pack. They sent us a, a pack of the old, uh, what they call the Bruce Latte, um, which they describe as strong as fuck. <laughs> they also have a Jackie Chino. The Jackie Chino is a little less strong, um, but uh, let's not split hairs here. It's still stronger than most of the, you know, these, other, these other coffees out there. You know, I said Bruce Latte, the Jackie Cheeto. It's like if Double Impact made a coffee. Yeah. It's this. And uh, let me tell you, buying, buying some, some fresh coffee beans, it's been sort of a delight to break out the old French press. Oh. Um, you know, we need, some, we need some COVID activities and it's been a fun one. Big time. And, man, this coffee, it's a good, this is like my afternoon coffee now and it's good. It sounds like it. Now, if you want to try this damn kick-ass coffee, uh, you can go to kickasscoffeeco.com.au. So, yeah, check them out. Also on Instagram at kickasscoffeeco. Made locally in Perth, by the way. This is an Australian coffee. Australian coffee, the good stuff. Excellent. And I look forward to trying it when I can. Ah, and the wine. Don't forget the wine. It's good to support small on the wine as well. We don't need to all go to Dan's all the time. 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. Winona, friend yeah, of the big show. Time. Hey, um, so uh, this is an exciting one because this this is a great ISO movie. This is a great movie. It's got Sylvester Stallone. It's got mountains. It's got John Lithgow. Pretty soon after his 75th birthday, Mr. Stallone. Maybe we could have thought about that earlier. Someone pointed yeah. out on Instagram. But uh, nevertheless. There's many things we could do. Many things. Is this, you know, I thought this was a new year for us, Greg, but it turns out, no, we've covered this year quite a lot. Have we? Do you have a member, Barry, for us? Oh, the year that was I, 1993? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I struggled a bit with 93. And, I, you know, thinking about it on the apex of the history of time. Yeah. Being 88. Yeah, right. Um, obviously, we talk about that a lot. You know, 92 had the Barcelona games. It's a bit where you, it's a bit where you sing. Barcelona. Thank you. That's like a, like a quick re, a rebound before you realise yeah. just how things, how far things have fallen. Yeah, like a false correction. Um, and by 93, there wasn't a lot doing. There was a lot of depressing stuff going on um, across the world. Sounds like 2021. And I'll talk to one of those uh, micro moments that probably punched above its weight Ooh. in terms of its cultural impact. And that was a, uh, uh, a young lady by the name of Lorena who had had enough of her um, terrible husband, John Wayne, and so went ahead and uh, cut his penis off there with a eight-inch chef's knife. Um, of course, we're talking about Lorena and John Wayne Bobbitt. Mm. Was this a big thing for you? Do you remember this? I just remember there being something, a story like this <laughs> around yeah. this time and me being of an age where... I didn't really get the full picture, but it sounded intense, man. Yeah, yeah, it was. Look, it's a pretty grim story, you know, when you, when you analyse the actual facts associated with it. You know, she cut his cut his dick off. Then We're on her bailed. side, right? He was yeah. asleep, yes, big time. He, was, he sounds like a real asshole. Yeah. So she cut it off and then fled the scene in the car and then took it with her and then chucked it out the window. I remember and hearing the, the chucking girl. out the window thing. I wasn't sure if I yeah. made that up. Okay, yeah. Wow. Wow. And then, yeah, then she called the cops and sort of confessed and told them whereabouts it was and there was a big search party for this find the doodle. And he got it back and he stitched it back on and uh, went really? on to make a few pornographic films. Really? Yeah. Um, aptly called John Wayne Bobbitt Uncut. <laughs> and then he did another film a few years later called Franken Penis. Fuck. So this really? one's pretty low. He, he, he's he's since then he got done again for like beating up a you know twenty one year old uh, dancer. Like he's a real piece of shit. But he was severely injured in a uh, in a vehicular accident in two thousand fourteen. So you know not too bad at all. His penis fell out the window again. Oh, I hope so. Man, let's just be thankful that he got his penis back and it didn't get donated to someone else who would end up with a Frankenstein kind of situation where maybe yeah. the evil penis makes them become evil. So Yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah, I don't think I'm really clutching the straws there. I think that could very oh, easily it's, happen. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the a, second I'd brain. As far as say you're stating, you know, the obvious. Oh, apparently it, there was a swathe of, uh, of copycat um, incidents around around the world. Fuck yeah! All these wives are like, I'm going to cut off. I don't like my husband either. I'm going to cut off his dick. Like we can do that. Fuck yeah! Yeah, that's a thing. Also, two years ago, the Amazon released a four part docu series called Lorena, uh, produced by none other than Jordan Peele. Yeah, right. Was, as you were saying it, I'm like, this feels like this should be a movie or a miniseries or something. Like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there's there's. 
there's a lot going on there. Um, so that's our little member berry from 93, one of the lighter things to happen in that year, would you believe? Uh, man, you know what? Big year for movies in 1993. Mm. A few we've covered, a few we, we haven't. Uh, a few Jurassic we will. Park. A few we will, dare I say. Yeah, Jurassic Park was yeah. the number one movie in the world that year. Mrs. Doubtfire, number two. The Fugitive, number three. Schindler's List, number four. Mm. Sleepless in Seattle. A bunch of movies we've covered, like Demolition Man, starring, you know, the one and only. Cool Runnings. Nowhere to Run. The Sandlot. Oh, yeah, we have done heaps. <laughs> we have done a few, right? Yeah. But you know what came in at number seven? Cliffhanger, baby! Came out in May of 1997, budget of $70 million, gross of $255 million. Top 10 movie. I feel like I glossed over that, but top 10 movie. A lot of the Lap Pack movies we do, uh, you know, maybe top 10 in our hearts, mm. but uh, mm. box office, not always the case. No. Academy Award nominated. Oh, yeah? For what? I'll uh, just tease you with that. I've got a little segment on that later, or a little... Uh, a little Little ditty on that later. Oh, nice. Best picture. Three. Three, three. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I like this. I like this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Rotten Tomato scores. So from a critic point of view, 67%. Audience, 52%. Fascinating. Fascinating. This was an interesting one to look at because, yeah, some of these movies, it's um, especially lap pack movies, it is always interesting to see that, audience perception at the time, like was this a big thing or not? 52 is pretty not great. <sighs> a lot of idiots out there, Tristan, I would say. <laughs> uh, critical consensus. Um, this sums up the sentiment of the critics at the time. While it can't escape comparisons to the movies it borrows from, Cliffhanger is a tense, action-packed thriller and a showcase for the talents that made Sylvester Stallone a star. Pretty generic, but, you know. Okay, that's – I got nothing out of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, because Sylvester Stallone was made a star through his rock climbing talents, I believe. That's probably what they're getting at. Oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who knows? But was this a big movie for you, Greg? Yes. Yes, it was. Me um, too. I saw, I saw this at a birthday party. Oh. Nemanja, um, who, much like Johnny – was your journey was, um, you know, best mate. I watched tons of movies at his house and his dad, uh, Mick, took a bunch of us to uh, Parramatta Greater Union to watch this for his birthday. So he must have been 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we'll put the younger side. So it's pretty raw movie as we'll get into. Like there's a lot of swearing and well, that's the thing. violence. It is a hyper-violent film, I would say. I thought I saw it at the cinema. And then I, yeah, I definitely did. Well, I, I, I checked with my mom. I texted her this before. I, I oh, was, yeah, I was nice. coming into this. I was about to say I saw this at the cinema and I thought, oh, I'll check with yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah. She's like, no. Because I would have been nine. Yeah, you would have been Of course young, I didn't yeah. see this at the cinema. <laughs> I don't know when I saw it. I feel like it was a family thing. Like maybe we just hired it as a family. I don't know. But the the opening scene and how that's been borrowed from ongoing in popular culture is definitely like mm. a big memory for me. Namely, Ace Ventura 2, 
It's the mm. opening scene in that, but it's a raccoon mm. instead. Mm. There's something similar in Spy Hard as well. Yeah. But I think from after that initial viewing, I never, I didn't think I watched it again until this week. Oh, no way, Jose. I think so. I can't remember a time. Unless it's just been, been on telly or years. something, yeah. It's um, that's interesting. It, you yeah. never picked your interest in between. I, when I think of this movie, I, I I I reflect fondly upon it, but not. I've never had the urge to like, oh yeah, cliffhanger. Yeah, mm, it's just kind of sort of been like in the. I don't want to say middle of the road because it's not like that's it makes it sound shit, but it's more just. It's never had uh, the hook for me to be, I've got to go back to that. Yeah. Uh, until now. I love anything with a, with a mountain. I love a mountain <laughs> film. Yeah. Very pro, very pro mountain film. You're a mountain man. Uh, oh, big time. <laughs> From way back. Oh, oh, oh. Do you have any, so do, is this like something you revisit frequently? Like you mentioned Jaws I the other week. That's like a, a, it's not like that. Yeah. No, I didn't, this isn't my annual viewing before winter. <laughs> Um, Before a brisk walk, my summer, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, before, yeah, before I head out on a cold winter's morning, um, I've just sort of peppered. It. I've just enjoyed the movie, so I've just watched. Yeah, it. you know, it's a good, it's a good like Sunday hung kind of film. You can zone out a bit as well, like you don't have yeah. to pay attention the whole time. Um, yeah, you're not going to miss on a, much under a. If it, Duna in winter, you know, you're feeling nice and warm and he's there with, in the snow with no shirt going, oh, I'm heaps comfier than you are, Gabe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's a cold man. Bit of that. Oh, my only other thing was that I just – Northern Exposure was such a big thing at the time. Remember that TV show, Northern yeah. Exposure? Yeah. I was a I bit mean, too I, young. I remember the ads really well. Yeah, exactly, because I was too young to really appreciate it. But it seemed yeah. – for something that seemed so – Important and I feel respected at the time. Mm. It's pretty invisible it's in 10. terms of there's no trace of it now. Like it's not a thing that people refer to as, you know, it was a good show. You know, it's not like people still talk about Twin Peaks. Or, you know, it doesn't, it, there's no reference to that. It doesn't exist in culture. But I, I couldn't remember if I remembered it or not. So I decided to look up the theme song and let, let me know if this tingles any member berries, but it did for me. I can hear it already. Walking down the street, a few, a few alum from that show, including uh, the actress in this. Sorry, that was the connection, by the way. The uh, the, the actress. Yeah. <laughs> she no was the Northern really. Exposure lady. That's all I kind of knew her from at the time, and probably since. Should I get into the origin story of this film? I think it's that time. Origin story. This is on the uh, the wackier end of our origin stories. The origin story to this tale leaves behind it a trail of, 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 of other movies that never got made. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think historical context is important for this one. So if you think about Stallone, you think about 93 and, and the years leading up to, he's, he's at the height of his stardom in a way, but maybe the second phase of his stardom as Lap Pack versus, you know, the early days, First Blood and Rocky One, like that's – Yep. He's almost a Pacino type, but now he's an Arnie type. 
Rambo three wasn't wasn't a it was kind of a flop, um, but he still has star power. And if you remember from our first blood episode, you know, first blood was was basically the thing that that gave Carol Co life. Mm-hmm. Company Carol Co, one of those one of our favorite logos to see before a movie plays, whether it's Terminator Two or or Total Recall, many things, many things. Others. Yeah, the house that First Blood built in many, many ways. So needless to say, there's a relationship there. And Carol Co. Mm-hmm. wanted to make their next Stallone project. Um, mm-hmm. So they signed him on initially for one movie and the movie that eventually got made was Cliffhanger. And there's sort of a bunch of movies in between that never eventuated through this sort of chain of signing him on in this like weird, you know, yeah. only in Hollywood, waka, waka, waka way. Are you going to touch on a couple of them? Yeah, let's touch on them. So the first one, Bartholomew vs. Neff. This was going mm, to be written and directed catchy. by – Yeah, it's a, it's a catchy name. Um, yeah, it's a title alone. I was, yeah. Take my $8.50. Yeah. It's going to be written and directed by John Hughes, oh. co-starring Mr. John Candy, a comedy about fueling neighbours. This thing writes oh, itself. Classic. Hey, get your grade off here. What are you doing? It never happened. For whatever reason, it never happened. I, I don't know why. Uh, next, they're like, hey, that's not happening, but we've got another one for you, Sly. We've got another one. It's called Isobar. It's a futuristic sci-fi horror film Ooh. about a, a monster made in a lab who breaks free on a high-speed train. This was going to be a big fucking deal. Um, they bought the script from Jim Ools for 400 grand in 1987. Wow. Wow. Um, he was a screenwriter of uh, Fight Club and Jumper and nothing else. Let me come back to that in a second. Weird. But he got 400 grand for this script. At varying points, Ridley Scott was attached, then Roland Emmerich had a budget of $90 million. It was going to co-star Kim Bassinger, Basinger. But between all those different names and Carol Co and Joel Silver, who was apparently involved, they could just never agree on anything yeah. and the thing of, just kind of got canned. A lot of heavy hitters there, you know, like a lot of uh, big dicks at the table. Yeah, yeah, especially um, measuring them. Measure, hey, what is it, pissing contest over here? It was one mm. of those ones. Enter the next film called Gale Force, a disaster thriller. Mm. It's Die Hard but it's in a hurricane. You know who makes a good movie that's like Die Hard? The guy that made Die Hard 2. Rennie Harlan. He was signed on to direct. For $3 million he's signed on. Um, he went on to do Deep Blue Sea, Long Kiss Goodnight. But he's he, he's signed on to make this next Stallone movie in which Stallone Gale plays. Gale Force. Gale Force. In which Stallone plays an ex-Navy SEAL who has to fight modern-day pirates in a coastal mm-hmm. town. Was his character's name Sergeant John Gale? Because that would be clever. <laughs> Gale Force. Get it? Do you yeah, get it? Yeah. Oh, I get it. Because he, he's a force to be reckoned with, if you ask me. <laughs> now, get Double another docking. one. I want to I want to emphasize here. Again, I mentioned before the writer of a film that didn't get made mm-hmm. got paid 400 grand. This one, a writer by the name of David Chappie, um, got paid 500 grand for this script. He would get another 200 grand if the movie got made, but it didn't. You can probably see where that's going because <laughs> that's not the movie we're talking about. I just think it's fascinating that is Carol Co. just some like shifty money laundering for writers? Like all these writers are getting paid for movies that never fucking happen. 
Interesting. And speaking of the writing here, so Rennie Highland's in and he's got the script that they've already paid 500 grand for. They've already paid the first guy 500 grand and he's like, yeah, you know what, um, I'm an artist and I want to revisit the script here. I want to do some rewrites. Um, he wanted more set pieces. He wanted more action. They ended up spending $4 million on this script from initially buying it through all the rewrites. One of the rewrites, worth calling out, <laughs> At one point it became an erotic thriller by the erotic thrillerist himself, uh, Joe Esterhaz, who wrote Basic Instinct and yeah. um, Showgirls, I think. He's a Vorhofen yeah. boy. They so paid he, him so 500 got, grand for the rewrite. <laughs> he got the script and said, I'll rewrite it. I'm just going to make it a little more sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Half a million dollars, please. And Michael Four Douglas views. is Michael Douglas glistens. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Stewart, a very apt, a very, uh, dare I say, a very astute impression of Michael Douglas' lips. <laughs> it's hard to describe. <laughs> they reach out. They're reaching out for something. Anything. <laughs> uh, so they, they get this thing rewritten so many times, they spent $4 million dollars on a script for this movie after already spending $3 million on this director. But they go, fuck, we only had $40 wow. million scheduled for this film and you've ended up with a script that we cannot execute for that budget. So the thing dies. The thing dies. But they've already paid this guy. They've already paid Rennie Harlan. And Stallone is obviously already signed on. And so they, they migrate over to a little script called Cliffhanger. Mm. Start again. But 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 the, this common theme of of the rewrites continues because once Stallone gets his hands on this script, he's like, "Well, maybe a little rewrite here." You know, got <laughs> some ideas. <laughs> you know, Stallone's got ideas. You know, Stallone likes a little cheeky rewrite. We know what happened with Beverly Hills mm. Cop. Um, mm. Something similar happened here. So the initial script was written by Michael France. He went on to write Goldeneye and some of the early comic book movies that are probably less regarded as the modern ones. Um, he's still credited as a writer, but but also Stallone's rewrites were so significant that he's credited also as a screenwriter on this film. So it's not just a little punch up there. He um, he went deep, which you know what? Credit to him because apparently he's very scared of heights, but he kept yeah. he kept the cliffs in there and the hanging. He sure did. He sure yeah. did, so respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't do any of it. They got... Uh, someone named Ron Kalk to mm. do all the the cliffing and hanging and stuff. Um, he would did. You believe it? No, he's the one that didn't die. Ah, uh, yeah, because his initial one. That guy's name Dirk. Yeah, he, the initial one that they had as his stuntman died, not in the movie, right? It was a car accident or something, I think. Mm. And um, this guy took over. I mean, I didn't notice it in the rewatch. We can talk about it more, but uh, maybe this guy looks a lot like Stallone because they did a good job. Yeah, except for the um, the dummy in the last scene when the helicopter, on the oh, he- helicopter's pulling down the, the, ladder. the ladder. There's there's like a dummy hanging. It's quite oh, cool. Oh, I dummy. missed that one. It's Damn, pretty funny. I'm gonna have to revisit that. Yeah, uh, it's, worth it. it's funny. In terms of cast, I don't have any juicy recasts here. I don't know if you came across any precasts. Sorry. Yeah, I came across a couple for um, for Lithgow. Oh yeah, Rennie wanted. David Bowie? Really? Yeah. David Bowie is interesting. 
you know, obviously mm. he's the Goblin King, the Goblin King, King himself. Dance, mm. magic, dance. Have some very tight. Magic pants. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely he did. But obviously we had John Lithgow, Rhonda. Rhonda. <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, I thought it was this movie that he says Rhonda and I'm waiting the whole time like, ah. Uh, it's like watching Loki <laughs> and waiting for Owen Wilson to say wow and it doesn't happen. Yeah, waiting um, for him to do anything. It never came. It never um, came. He had crystal <laughs> in this one. Crystal. Yeah. Crystal. I'm not afraid to shoot you. Um, I can't do a Lithgo, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, it's fine. Lithgo can't do a Lithgo in this. <laughs> He's doing an accent. It's weird. Yeah. Um, we had Michael Rooker as Hal Rucker. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed that before. Saying that out loud is interesting. Um, we had Janine Turner as Jessie Deegan. Janine is the Northern Exposure lady, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rex Lynn as Richard Travers, the, the cop gone bad. Leon oh. Robinson as Kinnett, credited just as Leon in the credits. Did you notice that? Yeah, he goes by Leon apparently. Does he always or is it at the time? Because I know he's a singer as well. Was that like a thing? I think I it's know. his thing. Yeah. I think it's his thing. He's got some good music. I think we did that. We covered that last time in um, mm. Cool Runnings. Yeah. But he's also the ex-husband of one of the real housewives of Atlanta. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, Ralph Waite as sweet, sweet Ranger Frank. Oh, Frank. Uh, poor Ranger Frank. Poor Ranger Broke my Frank. heart. Oh. Poor Ranger. He's just, he's, I'm trying to help. I will talk more about that later. Poor yeah. Ranger Frank. Hits you in the feels. <laughs> Man, he's the sweetest human. He didn't deserve that. Gone too soon. Well, he was, although he was laughing at Sarah falling to her death. Did you see his face <laughs> no. in the beginning? <laughs> really? Go back and watch it. His, his face in that opening, you know, horrific scene, he's like watching <laughs> on with terror, but he's like, and He's like, smiling. Yeah. Well, people <laughs> process talks. terror differently. You're <laughs> saying you deserved it. <laughs> yeah, he had it coming. All right, let's play the trailer. Oh, one thing. So basically the this is actually the TV spot, not the trailer, because the trailer decided to get all artsy and just play dramatic music and no dialogue, no voiceover, mm. no nothing. Poor, for, poor audio experience. Yeah, it's, it's not good for a pod. So I, I had to pivot. And I found the TV spot, which sounds like you know, to the untrained ear, maybe that's the same thing, but there's a few things to remember. TV spots are a lot cheesier generally and uh, shorter. So without much further ado, here's a TV spot for Cliffhanger. They stole $100 million in midair and lost it. Now, to get it back. Recognize these locations? They'll make one man a hostage. You're not going after him. And the other, a moving target. (laughs) Cliffhanger, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. What a trailer. (laughs) What a trailer. Much shorter. Hmm. Um, it leaves. Uh, I would argue it leaves a, quite a bit to the imagination, Greg. So you got you got yeah. some heavy lifting to do here. That's um, that's appropriate because uh, I've got a, you know I've got a I've got a few things. <laughs> you got some things. Hmm. So this is a synopsis of the film Cliffhanger. 
a bungled mid-air robbery of the U.S. Treasury, $100 million, sees evil mastermind Quaylen and his very evil hench people. Mm, very inclusive of you. Yeah, you like that, hench people? <laughs> Including first-time double agent, goddammit, Travers, stranded <laughs> in the Rockies after an emergency crash landing of the yeah. getaway plane. Yeah. They send out a fake rescue message with the plan to use the mountain rescue team to locate the three cases with the money in it that it fell out of the plane mid-crash and are now precariously (laughs) placed all over the Rockies. What they don't realise is that their guides have had their own tragedy a few months earlier, one that resulted in the death of a girlfriend and there's a whole lot of fresh grief and blame and anger is rife amongst the mountain rescue team. Hilarity in shoes. <laughs> now, Tristan, on the surface, it's your classic mountain heist drama. Yeah, yeah. Scratch underneath, underneath that fresh morning powder, snow. Yeah. And you find grief, <laughs> fear, frustration, re- regret, and vengeance which fuels the high-altitude violence that plays out before us. Now, Tristan, all this aside, at its heart, Cliffhanger is a tale of choices. Okay. For Gabe, it was a split-second choice up there on the mountain. For Travers, it was a choice 25 years in the making to finally go double agent and betray his career to date. And the regret that plays out in front of us. Either way, our characters are forced to live out their choices on a big cold mountain. Fuck, you make a good point there, Greg. Your your emphasis on Travers there really makes you think. Right. What would this, this movie from his perspective, maybe it's a Breaking Bad type scenario where, you know, he's working a government job. And for a, for a career, for, and you know, you know he does. How old is he? He's plugging away. He's doing the right thing. You know, something happens in his personal life, which is which is a lot to deal with. Maybe there's uh, it adds financial strain to the family, and he's like, you know what? I'm t- I'm sick of being the good guy. Mm-hmm. What, what good has ever happened to me? Yeah, who's ever done anything for me? Yeah, and so he takes a stand. Yeah. He hears about a charismatic quasi-Englishman. International accent. Yeah, with a, with a penchant for $1,000 bills and he thinks I want in. Mm. Can, you, can you blame him? Mm. That's a hot take, Greg, and I like it. I wanna, that's the remake. If they're going to remake this, let's tell her from Travers' point of view. That's right. And then what happens? It all goes Pete Tong on him and he's frustrated. I've got a deep dive on him, by the way. He deserves a fair bit of time on this episode. He's one of those guys, man. He's yeah. been in so much. He plays a cop in everything. Eh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll touch on that later. I want to hear uh, how the rewatch was for you, Greg, before we get into that. Ah, oh, he was lovely. It's a great opening scene, isn't it? Like, and I mean, just it's intense, man. Just that whole, like the, I love mountains and there's so <laughs> yeah. many mountains here. You've got the helicopter, the, the music, the music's great. And I got some more on that later. Yeah. These beautiful shots of the Rockies, well, the Dolomites as it turns out. Yeah. 
Ah, oh, just a that's a really good opening, and and what a collection of villains, and we'll talk more about them later. But just as a that really stood out to me, just the collection of villains in this film is yeah. up there, and it, it's a it's like, like this this collection I of villains them. who they all they all think they're the main villain because they're not team players at all. No, um, this we, is we this is un- a this is an NBA class <laughs> case study on poor. Team dynamics and the result. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like it's like the opening of Dark Knight with all the Jokers killing each other. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, the opening scene. I remembered it. Obviously, it's pretty iconic um, mm. in, in its original state, and then also the references since. And mm-hmm. Ara hadn't Ara hadn't seen this film. She finally watched a movie with me. It's been a while, oh, and good. Um, it was intense. Like we were both like, "Fuck!" They really. Mm. They really fucking they hit dial with it that. Up. They dial it up so much, and you you see her just like the slowly losing the grip, and then really holding that shot for a while when she's falling. Yeah, the, the, the separation point. <laughs> yeah, but it's significant. It is significant. It, it hits hard, and I couldn't remember what it was that caused the issue until the rewatch. And it's just this buckle. It's just this buckle. Mm. Imagine if the rest of the movie was a legal drama with Patagonia about this buckle, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> after that scene, it still takes a while to get to, you know, the lap packiness of it all. And it's just like a lot of snow and small town stuff. And Ara's yeah. like, because Ara didn't know anything about this movie. She's like, so what, what like, where do they go from here? <laughs> like, what is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it was a valid point because it felt like for a second there, I mean, if you hadn't seen the trailers, if you're living under a rock, like where where Ara had obviously been living, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, but what? she didn't even know what genre this movie was. Really, she was about climbing cliffs. Like, what is this? <laughs> and then Lefkow comes in and oh. obviously does does his thing. He does his Farquhar and whatnot. Um, yeah. Oh, I've been meaning to ask you. It's a very Farquhar performance. <laughs> it is serious question for you. Sorry. Not to change tone too quickly, but serious question for you: Would you consider the cliff a main character in this film? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I certainly would. Almost an antagonist in many ways. Oh, I mean, you certainly get their point of view. It's funny. The um, obviously, I watched. I always watch the movies before I do any of the research, and I actually thought with the opening hangings off the cliff and whatnot that Sly's doing a bang-up job. Uh, I guess it wasn't him. But it seemed pretty realistic. I, I was sold. I was sold that, that he's mm. doing a lot of these things, um, even though I guess he wasn't. I think it looked relatively legit, yes. I do have a, a few points on believability if you wanted me to sort of get into those now or are you just talking purely about the aesthetic? I was initially talking about the aesthetic, but I want to hear this because, believe it or not, there was actually the initial cut that the director wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, more of everything. So Stallone yeah. says, Stallone was asked about that original cut and he said, the director's cut was met with a lot of disapproval at the screening and received some, some alarmingly low scores, mainly because the stunts were absurdly overblown. <laughs> <laughs> For example, the average man can jump between uh, can maybe jump twelve feet across a gorge, and the stunts had me leaping maybe three hundred feet or more. 
<laughs> so situations like that had to be pared down. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably better off with this cut, is what he what he says. It's pretty Everybody hates hilarious. It. <laughs> well, good on good on them for listening to the, the people. Yeah, but what we're left with, Greg, you think there's still a bit of uh, still a bit in there. So, hard to suspend disbelief. The the cold T-shirt is a big one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Sly running out or Wim Hof for an hour and a <laughs> half is a bit much. Like he goes from T-shirt to no shirt. He's underwater. Yeah, in an ice in an ice lake. When also initial initial T-shirt, wet wet soaking wet T-shirt. Yeah, and um. His his lady friend breaks out the old um, emergency sweater mm. and he keeps the T-shirt on. I don't know, to be honest, what the right thing to do is there, but I would <laughs> intuitively think that you take off the wet T-shirt, right? Mm. Is there some yeah. mountaineering rule that I'm forgetting about? It's a, good, it's a great question. Um, friends of the show, if you know the answer to that, <laughs> is leave yeah. the shirt on. That's fascinating to us. Because it's a wet shirt and it's got to be ice cold. It would be a frozen shirt pretty soon, right? And his hands are just in the snow willy-nilly. I, I get it. He's acclimatised but, you know, there's, there's, there's limits. <laughs> the the under-the-ice stuff is pretty – I remember that being a big deal. That, mm. that stuck with me, the under-the-ice stuff. I kind of mm. forgot it was in it until it came up and it all came flooding back how much that fucked with me. It became like, like one of my – oh, maybe that's part of it. Same year too. It became one of my like – you know, as a child, like most feared ways to die. Like how oh, fucked would wow. that be? You go under, you fall under and then it's frozen by the time you come back up. That's fucked. And you mm. just tap it under there, like let me out. Yeah, I think it's fucked I think up. It I, think, I think I might have had an issue with that when I was younger as well, now that you men- yeah. mentioned it. It's pretty fucked up. I'm okay now. I've got over it. <laughs> I'm okay it doesn't, too. Like if I'm just, avoid know, just heading out to the shops, I don't think about it. Although every year there is like some viral video of someone falling through the ice. Oh, yeah. Classic. In, Funniest yeah. term, ice falls. <laughs> I just put a funny, you put Benny Hill time. music over the top and it's fine. Yeah. All right, I've got a few more things here. The second one is uh, his physique. Um, look, I'm no mountain climber, but <laughs> Sly's, uh, Sly's a, he's fairly stocky and he's carrying a lot of muscle mass. Doesn't lend um, itself into a strength to weight ratio, perhaps required. Yeah, like um, he's no Alex Honnold. Is that the free climbing so guy? Alex Honnold, of course, is the chap from Free Solo that has yeah. that made that brilliant doco, uh, and he climbed yeah. El Capitan in Yosemite Free Solo. No, yeah, no ropes. Um, so he's not really built like him. I think that's more of a climber's build. No. Quite lean, very muscular, of course. Yeah, but lean. He's yeah. jacked in this film, jacked. Like jacked. that scene where he's reaching over and pulling the girl up, Jesse, and his veins are just like, it's pretty sick. But like he's, <laughs> he's, so, he's so massive and vascular. I yeah. think he really hit the roids hard for this film. I think that was like. I think so because Demolition Man was the same year and I, we get more exposure to the full physique in that one. And I think we were mm. both like, I think this is maybe peak Stallone in terms of physical fitness. It might be. Peak, peak jackness. Like if you look back at um, First Blood, like he was super Yeah. Fit, but he was very yeah. lean. He was a lean. He was normal, he, natural, natty. <laughs> it was, was normal fit. Yeah, he was natty. But he, yeah. hit the needle, he hit the needle hard for this. Um, yeah. And it's hilarious. 
I've got a few more. I'll just keep going. There's two more. Keep going. Yeah, 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 keep going. These are getting more into the climbing space. So I mentioned Alex, yeah. Alex Honnold. Um, and in this film there's a lot of free free soloing going on. They're climb, like the first scene, they're, they're, he's climbing up there without ropes, free soloing. Yeah. Um, my understanding is when you free solo, you don't carry all the gear because you don't use it. So why would you weigh yourself down with a, a waist full of oh. clamps and fucking – Caribbees and whatever else they use. In this film, both him and Hal are just climbing around mountains everywhere, not using any ropes, but um, <laughs> but carrying all the gear. Maybe they're just some sandwiches, some tuna They could fish, have been metal sandwiches. Yeah, it's 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 possible. <laughs> it's possible. I feel. I think the climbing community had a had a gripe with that one, and then finally Fair on enough. gear that bolt gun. That just shoots the bolts in to, oh, to yeah. clip onto it. D- doesn't exist. <laughs> so right, like, really? At all? A, yeah, yeah, how, like, yeah, I thought there was like it's a about a three-step process or yeah. something, including hammering and yeah. And these has got the gun that shoots in. I didn't know that that didn't exist, but it did strike me as odd, just in terms of like a sustainable kind of thing. That all these climbers up there just shooting things into the rock. Mm. At some point, it's going to lose some structural integrity. Well, there is the same problem, I think, with the with, with the, the hammering methodology that they do do because there was um yeah oh there was a there was a brand back in the nineties or maybe noughties that there's that really famous where is it somewhere in Mexico perhaps there's this really famous rock formation that's just this giant sort of monolith oh, right. that just goes up and it's very famous and popular with climbers and it got you couldn't climb it anymore. And a brand wanted to use it, maybe like Red Bull or someone, and they said as a deal to the to the local natives who you know had um, ownership of it, said, "I oh, will clean the whole rock if you let us oh. film this content piece." So they went in and took out every you know every oh. um, hooks, uh, whatever whatever they're called, yeah, that climbers had used over the past you know hundred fifty years or whatever. Yeah, but I think climbers typically follow a similar route, so it's not like they're everywhere. You just that each right. rock has like a, a kind of like a defined route that most people use. So people would I reuse think. the things, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I yeah, trust other people. Yeah, unless they've used the bolt gun. I trust the bolt gun. Yeah, I trust. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, I would. <laughs> Did you know, Greg, the cliffhanger is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the costliest aerial stunt ever performed? Yeah. Not even on a but, mountain. The stuntman himself, Simon Crane, was paid $1 million to perform the aerial transfer scene, crossing between two planes at an altitude of 15,000 feet. That's pretty cool. That's baller. I didn't know stuntmen got paid like that. That's I, I like that. I like hearing this. Yeah. Well, one That's did. That's quite <laughs> yeah. rare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's in the Guinness Book of Records. It's a cool stunt. Yeah. Did he have the guy yeah, actually shooting cool. at him? I think so. Uh, just add, you know, I want to believe it, you know. He's not mm. an actor. He's a stuntman. Live, so, live yeah. rounds. Yeah. I felt like there was a bit of a um, – because look, I think one of my first impressions of the movie when it starts and everything and, and the flashbacks, the member berries, and I was like, wow, this is really like an A-grade, big-budget, blockbustery thing. But sometimes it will cut to a new set where it feels very set mm. almost like yeah. like a sitcom or something. 
like uh, this is random, but it gives me flash. There's an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air where they get stuck in a cave, and they find like a big bag of money, but they have to burn the money to get the fire oh, going. And it's classic. like, oh, can you believe it? But it looks like the same kind of that quality of set where it just looks very fake. There's a couple yeah. of scenes in this where it's just like this weird. I'm pretty sure we're on a soundstage. Yeah, and you're playing around in. Um, dehydrated mashed potato rather than... Yeah, it's like a Santa Santa at the local (laughs) mall. Yeah, they're at a Walmart. (laughs) They had to do some reshoots there. Yeah, there was just a couple of scenes like that that showed its age a little bit. But other than that, I thought... I I was actually a little surprised to see it was 1993. I thought it was going to be a few years later. So I think a lot of it holds up. 94. A lot of it is... Practical. Yeah, I thought it could be 94 and a half maybe, you know. Mm, mm, I think a lot of that mm. stuff holds up. Can we talk about the bad guys a little more? You touched on it. There, oh. was not some, there wasn't great cohesion amongst the team there. Zero. They, they were pretty single-minded in their evilness. <laughs> they were very yeah. committed to just being evil. They were evil. Is this like anti-English propaganda? Because... <laughs> Maybe. It took it took me it took me a while to realize that um, Lithgow was English because you know because you know he's got that funny twang where he cut like Fraser where he it almost sounds English but it's just a very posh sounding American accent. I, yeah, but then I, I realized I found out when I read when I was doing my notes and I was doing my <laughs> research. I didn't realize in the film. I just thought he was like an in, international man of. You know, there was espionage. one line where it's like I can't. And I was like, oh, can't. Interesting, can't. You're an Englishman, sir. And then I realised all the other ones are English, so I figured, no, okay. The penny dropped for you. Yeah. It didn't drop for me. (laughs) I think with the bad guys, look, I'm not going to, I don't think these are deducting points necessarily. It's it's, because this is one of those movies where as as we poke holes in it, it's, I still enjoy it very much. But but part of I guess maybe the tropiness of this kind of movie is these bad guys. There's no nuance to them. They're just pure evil, to the point where a bit like Hans Gruber. I know we talked about this on Die Hard. Let's say he gets the money. What's his idea of a good time even? Mm. Like what's John Lithgow? He's gonna go buy a PlayStation Five. What's he gonna do? You know, he's cocaine and strippers. Like what's he, he's gonna get all this money? Mm. Is he going to enjoy it? I feel like mm. I, I, it's it's it might be a new evaluation criteria for me in lap pack movies of villain motivation and villain. Mm. To what extent is the villain going to enjoy their winnings if they get it? Because I feel mm. like this guy, it, it, it's kind of a nice test to how much dimension is there to the character. Because I can't imagine him with the money and having a good time. Mm. You could argue that maybe he just enjoys the. The chase and the orchestration and their oh Ronda, mm. but um, you know I can't imagine him you know r- rolling up his chinos and uh, lying on a beach in Mexico, waiting for twenty percent. Maybe maybe he's mates with Gruber. He was quite. Maybe they were going to go meet there. I don't know. Gruber, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I think yeah. that could be. I, I haven't I haven't quite nailed down the exact metric there. But there's something interesting with these lap pack movies of. Putting that lens on the bad guy there and go, what, what do you uh, do? You want this? What do you actually want mm. out of this scenario? Do you just want infamy? Yeah. Is it more about winning? What are you going to do with the money? You know. He, 
Because he he did really cut the sort of cliched uh, Gruber type, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, this movie, we, we said with um, one of the movies that never happened that preceded this movie, Gale Force, was Die Hard in a Hurricane. This is Die Hard on a Snowy Mountain, I suppose, in yeah. many ways, Gruber included. Mm. Um, can we talk about Rex Lynn? Let's get into Travers, Rex Lynn. God damn it. He's one of those guys, I saw his face and it made me smile because he's been around forever. He's always a cop but he's somewhat anonymous because I couldn't name any movie he's been in until I looked it up. He's usually a jerk cop. He's usually a jerk cop, almost always a cop. And there's recently been, um, in Australia at least, a, a beer ad recently where they cast the guy that's been been in all the beer ads. Mm. And he's like, you might remember me from all these beer ads, yada, yada. And it's for, what is it, for non-alcohol Carlton or something. But it's playing off the idea that you recognise me, I'm that guy, I'm always in the beer ads. This is that guy, but he's a cop. He's been in 35 movies and I did start manually going through them all to see if he was a cop and I didn't follow through with it. Let's just say the bulk of them appear to be he's a cop. And I just think with that in mind, with that beer ad in mind and having recently done Flying High just last week and and talking about how Leslie Nielsen was a bit of a that guy, played very straight mm. characters mm. and we could never come up with someone that could make that pivot oh, to a straight-faced yeah. comedy. Maybe Rex Lynn is the guy that, that, that needs that kind of rebirth because if he is quite literally, you think of a movie, The Other Guys. Yeah. He's quite literally The Other Guys. He should have been like the main actor in the film The Other Guys. He should have been either Will Ferrell or the other guy. Um, Marky Mark? Marky Mark. <laughs> that's somewhat ironic that I called Marky Mark the other guy. But um, there, there's some there. Anyway, that's more of a side note. I wanted to spend a little time on Rex Lynn. He's born in uh, 1956 in Spearman, Texas. He went to Oklahoma State University. Now you're going to enjoy this, Greg, because this is the guy, the type of guy that had a career before acting. Mm -hmm. After graduation, he worked his way up to become vice president of energy lending for Lakeshore Bank. He quit that in 1982, got got a job for another oil company, but on the side he convinced this agent to work with him and he started booking commercials. This is now in the mid to late 80s. Then in 1989, he booked a movie with Roy Scheider, had a couple more bit parts, and then Bish Bash Bosh, Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger is kind of the big one. Yeah. This was quite early on in his 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 career in terms of having a main role, you know, being somewhere on the top half of the call sheet. Uh, but he went on to do Drop Zone, Cutthroat Island, Tin Cup, Long Kiss Goodnight, mm. Rush Hour, Instinct, Django Unchained, A Million yeah. Ways to Die in the West, Better Call Soul, Third Rock from the Sun and Northern Exposure. So with some uh, cliffhanger alum there, yeah, which is quite interesting. But, uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, we love that, guys. We, we love the Willie Fickners. Mm-hmm. We love the Brian Thompsons of the world. And I want to add Rex Lynn to that mix. We love the Stephen well, Tobolowskis. I want to add Rex Lynn to that mix. Welcome to the Rex party, Lynn, we Rex. salute you. Welcome to the party, Rex. You're a, you're a good man. No one wears a moustache better. A cop moustache, mm. a real cop moustache, you know. It's one of those dudes that's really embraced the fryer tuck look. He's just 
Could have grown out the banks there. And he had the banks, like a distinct banks from an early age because he was only like 30 in this movie or 32 or something in this movie. Is he? He's Jeez, he's forever he forty. He's one of those guys. Forty, he's just kind of yeah, forward. fifty. Maybe. Yeah, he's just yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> can we touch on his? Um, I'm assuming it's somewhat uh, ad libbed, or oh yeah, freestyled. His use of the phrase "God damn it!" <laughs> really? There's a clip. I have you got the clip I sent you? Per chance? This is Agent Travis saying "God damn it." What the hell are you waiting for, goddammit? Don't you see what he's doing? He's hijacking the shipment. Don't lose money, goddammit. Oh, goddammit. <laughs> Where the hell is that goddamn plane? Don't use my name, goddammit. Damn. <laughs> oh, goddammit. Oh, goddammit. Goddammit. The ass fell goddammit. Cut. God damn it! <laughs> Come here, God damn it! I feel like it's almost an ac- acting exercise where it's like, now I want you guys to explore different ways to emote using one phrase. God I feel like I feel. <laughs> God damn it! God damn it! God damn it! I feel, yeah, it's feel like a it. class. Nida, the God damn yeah. God damn it unit. The um, <laughs> I reckon. You know how we can all be parrots somewhat and pick up, you know, jargon or phrases that people will spend a lot of time with you. It's, it's funny how other people in the film are using it as well. I reckon he said it all the yeah. time and then other people have sort of picked it up and dropped it as well. Yeah. I just made that up. It feels like that, doesn't it? I reckon that's – I think there's something in that. There's like, you know, I want you guys – you know, the script is there, the dialogue's there, but I really want you guys to explore the emotions. Maybe I'll give it a good damn it. <laughs> Seems to be the go-to. Explore. So they all had a little goddamn it. <laughs> was the style at the time. <laughs> um, I mentioned the trailer being a little uh, creative, with a lack of any voiceover or dialogue. Mm. I think the, I wanted to touch on the marketing here overall. Maybe something we gloss over a little too much, um, considering our fucking day jobs. Maybe that's why we avoid it. I want to touch on some of the marketing here. Um, the trailer I mentioned, mostly music, well, entirely music. The TV spot, even quite a bit of music, but with some VO. The promo, the interviews, the promo interviews uh, with the Bobby Wigans of the world and uh, all those guys, very mid-90s. Uh, so often you see these these interviews for film promotion and it's in a hotel room with some slight set dressing, movie poster in the background and all the reporters come in, interview and leave, all that shit. This one was um, obviously doesn't translate to uh, audio so much, but they had it all dressed up like a like a mountain <laughs> and all the interviews were recorded with like a handy cam. Did so they instead pump the of just AC? <laughs> Maybe. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I didn't see any erect nipples. But frosty there was <laughs> But the camera's all moving around like like a like a fucking um, Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah, Blair Witch. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Travis a porn has got movie. Not coming out of his mouth. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really? it's, a, it's got some stalactites forming. Um, <laughs> some bat caves. <laughs> Wait, some bats in the cave? Um, What's the expression? I don't know. Yeah, bat in the cave. There you go. <laughs> but I, I watched some of these interviews, and there's just some. There's some real pure Stallone in these. And I've got a clip here 
and he gives us he gives us a glimpse because I mentioned before this this stage is at in his career where you think about we talk about this all the time, but for most people who don't spend so much time living in the eighties and nineties, it's easy to forget just what a critical darling he was early on and the evolution he took in the space yeah, of yeah. ten to fifteen years from from like imagine if you started as uh, fuck, who's a critically acclaimed actor? I don't know. Uh, 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 Timothy Chalamet becomes The Rock. You know, it's like he starts in his very, yeah, yeah, like a very um, almost an art house kind of thing. And he, it's a rare moment where he gives a bit of a glimpse. He's asked the question, what's the downside of being Sylvester Stallone? And his answer is, Look, I'm probably projecting a little bit on just what I think about this guy, but I think there's some nuggets there that start to to paint a bit of a picture. What is the downside of being you? Now, you're a Superman. You look like a god out there. I mean, look at this character up there. (laughs) You you must look at that guy and say, I can't believe that's even me. That's true. I mean, we all know the upside. What's the downside? You know, the truth is that that really isn't me in a sense. I'm basically a thin person. I mean, that I put on 20 pounds to do this film. I'm not that big right now. So I, I... Wish I was. So I have something to aspire towards. But the downside of being me is, well, I, I feel as though I, I am kind of like this this conduit for, for rumors and gossip and this and that. And 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 also a downside is that I never really know what people's true feelings are to me. I can see, like for example. The way people respond to me during Cliffhanger now, then they, they responded to me, say, during Oscar. There, there is definitely a, uh, my appeal is governed by box office success. That's one thing. So you have to be very ob- Second of all, um, for my children, for them, it's, it's very difficult because they now have this certain ideal that they have to be weighed against. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a, a problem. But overall, I consider myself about the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, I, I mean I, for, for anyone to complain, my position really is really hypocritical. Well, congratulations on this. First of all, very likable human, right? Yeah, with comments like that. Sweet guy, sweet guy. And the caveating at the end, that obviously I've got nothing to complain about, but I think there's something in that. He said something there, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but basically that his value is pretty one-to-one equated with a box office return now. And he didn't start that way. Mm. He started as a fucking underdog <laughs> in Rocky, mm. first blood, of course, and he he found himself. He landed on this treadmill of box office results that he's not able to get off. Mm. And I feel like there's a hint of a bit of torture there. He said he talks about how he every movie he does now his value is directly equated to box office return. Like no wonder he's no longer doing those risky moves. Everything he's doing is chasing box office gold versus, you know, maybe something a bit more humble like a Copland, which he would do later on, which we all love. It kind of Back to his gives roots. us a yeah, it gives us a hint into what's going on in there, and and maybe while he's obviously grateful, there's a part of him inside that is. The artist that wants to come out, and funnily enough, promoting this very movie, I found a clip of him talking about his art as a painter. Oh, yeah. So still, Sylvester Stallone paints, 
And it's fascinating because, to be honest, like that 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 first half of my little spiel there, I did before I even noticed <laughs> noticed that this is already something I've mm-hmm. I've landed on as an observation from this this great human we call Sylvester Stallone, and that little peek he gave us into what's going on inside um, that 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 bumpy brain of his, and um, he is he also paints, and I found a clip of him talking to Oprah about it which kind of jives with with this narrative I'm spinning about this artist who wants to express himself but's found himself trapped in the world of blockbusters. It's, mm. it's interesting. And lap-packism. Yeah, lap-packism. Well, Oprah, when I first got started in art, I was about 13 years old. It, it was a hobby back then. And then I didn't paint for a while until uh, having come to Hollywood and kind of being put under this pressure cooker lifestyle – I needed a release. I needed something that would be a sounding board, something that would really reveal whatever I was undergoing psychologically. And that's when painting really came to the forefront. Whatever you see in the paintings, they may be a little bit radical, but, geez, if it looks rough out there, you can imagine what it's like inside here. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about it very lightly there, but it's interesting, right? There's, there's something going on there. Very. Oprah mentioned the, the price tags on some of these artworks. Mm. I, I looked them up on artsy.net. There's quite a few for sale. Oh, yeah. There's one for 165 grand. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, oh, there's some that are only about a grand. Fuck, maybe I'll buy one because it's Stallone, man. <laughs> Why not? There you go. But my, my overall point here is comparing now to, to the lap back heroes of yesteryear, how they, they've all got a little something else going on. You got you got the you got the Bruce Willis who came from a sitcom essentially, and he mm-hmm. was kind of an unexpected choice for a lap pack hero. You got Stallone who started as more of a Pacino, like we're saying. You you got dare I say Jean Claude Van Damme is someone who is trying to. It's like they're all coming from a place that's not just about business. All these guys are kind of striving to make something special, and I compare that to people of today. I compare I, I compare the the Stallone who who whether you like his art or not he's coming from a place of wanting to do art. You compare that to like the Rock of today, and it's very much he's a businessman. That, that's the impression I get mm. with guys like that. And a lot of the action heroes of today, it's it's very transactional and like business decisions, and you know it's just they uh, like the, they're missing um, the heart. They like the image of the businessman as well, don't they? Like that's part of their identity. It's part of their, their personal. 100%. Uh, sorry, their, their public profile is it the hustle. You're right. It's the it's the hustle thing. It's the I'm an entrepreneur who happens to act as part mm. of my hustle. And but by it's, the way, drink my drink my energy drinks and my tequila. My and, God, exactly, yeah. exactly. Whereas a brand is an understatement. Exactly. It's almost I don't want to say sickening because that's too far because. You know, I can see myself doing the same thing. But it's more that it's just interesting to look back at these guys who often we we overlook as at least pursuing art. <laughs> there's there's that drive in there to do something yeah. special. They're not just being transactional and just want to do business. They're, there's something going on in there that I really... Mate, it's awesome. And I think it comes through. I think it comes through is what I'm trying to say. There's something vapid about the stars now. That is, uh, it's not the same thing. Not all stars, but the action hero stars. Yeah, I think they also. Yeah, I mean, The Rock talks about his his roots quite a lot, but it also. 
But it feels very performative. It feels, yeah, disingenuous is harsh, is harsh but it's almost like it, it just forms part, part of, of, his brand. of his of his brand. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's just with Sly, it's just a given. Like, yeah, yeah, I, of course I came from nothing. You know, I was a struggling actor. Yeah. And we, to be fair, we have talked before about how, especially on the first Blood episode, how Stallone does a good job of controlling his narrative around, you know, so on the Rocky script and all that stuff. But it's not to sell energy drinks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's something yeah. he, you can tell. And same with, same with JCVD. Again, whether, the, whether you like the final result or not, he's coming from a place of he thinks he's making art. He is. You see, hear him talking about a movie, and he talks about it so passionately. Whereas you hear the rock, and I'm not just putting this on the rock, but it's just the one that's top of mind. You hear him talking about a movie, and it's very much like a business decision, mm. <laughs> you know. And there's some new announcement about him making a Christmas movie, and it's just it sounds very much like there's a gap in the market versus this is something I wanted to bring to the world. You know what I mean? It's. Uh, and they talk about it as the first instalment of an ongoing saga, and it's, mm. you're already talking about it as a business. Oh, it's, a, it's a franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I miss these guys. Mm. Hey, I've got um, got a little bit on the music that led me to some digging into the academies. Oh, okay. I, I, the music in this, I thought, was terrific. You know, the opening scene. It's, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's orchestratic. Is that a word? It is now. Cool. Good. Good. Let's bank it. <laughs> um, so it's guy, by a guy called Trevor Jones and he's a bit of a legend yeah. in the film score game. Uh, he'd done Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and a few other bits, well, quite Ooh. a few actually before this, but it seems that uh, he seemed to really make a name for himself with Last of the Mohicans, which wasn't long before this. Apparently uh, this right. quite similar to that because I thought maybe this might have got some Oscar attention. Um, yeah. It's pretty great. So I did some digging. Um and it didn't. It didn't get uh, even a nom for its, you know, original score. Um, Schindler's List won, but that won everything that year, so no surprises there. Yeah. The other ones nominated with The Firm, The Fugitive, Remains of a Day, and Age of Innocence. And I was like, surely it was better than those. Yeah. But I did see it got three actual nominations, not one of which was its score. Um, huh. It was nominated for Best Sound. Best sound effects and best visual effects. Right. Um, so a couple of couple of things. First of all, Jurassic Park won all three of those. So tough year, tough year to be nominated for those if you're not Jurassic Park. Yeah. Also a reminder that Jurassic Park and Schindler's List came out the same year. Yeah. Spielberg. Yeah. Wow. Opposite ends of the spectrum wow. too. He does that thing. He, it's a thing he does, I think, where he does like. He'll do no movies for a while, and then he'll release two in the same year that couldn't be more different. Well, would you, how would move. you compare that to Leon mm. for '93? Mm. He made because of Cool Cliff, Runnings, Cliffhanger, and Cool Runnings, and Stallone <laughs> did this in what Stopping a Mum or Shoot or something. No, he did um, Demolition Man. Oh, he was busy. So is it is it a '93 thing? There's a lot going on the TikTok right now. What was the best year for movies? Maybe '93 was the year of the diverse double down. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but can I one more question on the on the academies? I, you might know the answer to this. Someone, friend of the show, someone will know. What's the difference yeah. between a best sound and best sound effects? I think sound might be sound design overall. 
Yeah. I don't know this for a fact. And then effects is like. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. The, Wins- the Winslow Award. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah. The- <laughs> Michael Winslow wins every year for making radar sounds and electric guitars. <laughs> but it's uh, there's all these technical awards. You know, I, I think the award shows are a declining thing in terms of viewership and I feel like they're making all the wrong decisions in trying to make them more interesting because one of the things they do is they remove all the technical ones. I actually want to see in the mm. in the main broadcast who's winning best sound effects and have Michael Winslow out there and fucking I don't care about a lot of the other ones. Mm. And they just put other filler in there. Well, Show the just, awards. They do more time spent on the red carpet. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Can I touch on real quick? We mentioned Carol Coe. And we, we can talk more about this when we eventually cover uh, Cutthroat Island. But the house that Rambo built in many ways, uh, this movie, by the time this movie came out, between this, between Rambo, between First Blood and this movie, you got Total Recall, you got Terminator 2, you got Basic Instinct. A lot of big movies are coming out of Carol Co. Mm. However, but they're paying the script Co- bloody writers all the all this goddamn money. God <laughs> they spend all their money on scripts that don't get ex- executed. That's a fucking good point because they also do a lot of small budget movies that weren't profitable. Net net, they weren't making money. They're shit with uh, it. They're uh, also clearly. That yeah, was, they're, that, they're, I did, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt when you were talking earlier, but that was what was going through my head. I was like, "Fuck, no wonder these yeah. guys didn't make it." Like. They're They've been criticised for spending too much on the stars as well. Yeah, right. Like they ran out of money. So even before they started shooting this, they had to make deals with um, a bunch of uh, different companies, d- distributors, to give distribution rights to other people. They sold distribution rights uh, for North America, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, France to TriStar. Wow. In exchange for getting half the budget. And wow. that means they're on the they're already on the decline um, because they haven't been very good with money. Hey, and can I just to interject quickly? Another thing, yeah, specific to this film, I heard they used real money for those that hundred million that that slide through <laughs> over the mountains. It wouldn't surprise me. Cost a fortune. Cost a fortune to hit this place. That was, a, that was a great line. He was burning real cash. Uh, Legal tender. (laughs) (laughs) That's my money. Would it be better if he had like, sorry, I digress slightly, but wouldn't it be better if he had like a a really unusual English accent? Not unusual, but just. (laughs) Austin Powers. A specific, yeah, something a bit more. Yeah, Austin Powers would be perfect. Thousand dollar bills make me only, baby. Oh, there was a connection there. Yeah, was, Clark, Clark so many, and the Shrek. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But my point is great. Sorry, mate. <laughs> That's all right. This movie is a big bet for them, but they've already shot themselves in the foot because all the money they're going to make at the box office is going into, into someone else's pocket. So even <sighs> though this was a number seven movie worldwide for the year, made so much money, hardly any of that money went to them. They even they had to shut down production while shooting the movie on numerous occasions because they ran out of money to pay the crew. They went $40 million over budget. Stallone had to sacrifice some of his salary to sort it out. This was the beginning of the end for them. After this movie, yeah, right. they had to shelve 
we mentioned before in the Total Recall episode about an unrealized project with Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger about the Crusades, which sounds oh, fucking yeah, epic. Yeah. So that that can that <sighs> the final nail in the coffin was Cutthroat Island, directed by this same man, Rennie Harlan, in 1995. And by 96, they had to sell off their whole library and it's over. So this was, uh, it. it's a bit of a signpost in the, the last big movie from Carol Co., unfortunately. So if, it's a shame. Yeah, totally. Um, given what we've learned over our little pod journey, would you say yeah. if, if, if uh, First Blood built it, then Rennie... Knocked it down. Yeah. Rennie cut its throat <laughs> oh, oh. with Cutthroat Island. Savage with Marco yeah. Douglas. We should do Cutthroat Island soon because I don't, I barely remember that. I don't know it. I, I watched it on Laserdisc. It. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> no it's one of, it's a lot of it. lips. It's got Gina Davis. Has it got Gina Davis? No. Yeah, no. G- uh, yeah, Gina Davis. She was, she was. Rennie Harlan's girlfriend at the time, they were dating or married or something. And, uh, and Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas, no, Michael Douglas didn't, he bailed and it was the other guy. Ah, uh, because he couldn't have a lip off with Gina Davis because she wins 10 times He's out like, of 10. <laughs> so a sad set of affairs. But one, before we get into verdict, one little Easter eggy thing, man, and I can't believe we've gone this far without talking about uh, Michael Rooker because I didn't really realize who he was back in the day. And dare I say, and I, well, this isn't a backhanded compliment, but he was quite a handsome man back in the day. And that's why I didn't realise he was the same guy. But he's the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's the guy in Walking Dead. Yeah, the whistle guy with the blue face and all that shit. But I, And I just realised that, uh, of course, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Stallone has a little cameo. And I didn't I didn't really think about it as being a reunion. But it was... Mm. The, the thing in that scene was they used to work together. That was a whole bloody nod that I missed which I'm embarrassed to say I missed, but I missed. But must acknowledge credit where credit is due. Interesting. Nicely done. Nicely done. He's definitely, I like I like guys that are, he's fortunate enough to have a, a long tail career, you know. I think he, he was a bit of a that guy for a while and then he's had a real moment in the last few years, I think. He's definitely got yeah. a presence, absolutely. Yeah, he's, and he's got an energy to him. He's yeah, got some, yeah, he's yeah, got some charisma. He's got something. Yeah. He's uh he's always welcome. If I see him in something, it's like yeah, yeah. He's slightly off-putting. Like he makes me uncomfortable a little bit, but that's his. That's part of his thing. I think. I feel it's like a loose he, cannon. Yeah, I feel like some of that aggression would would uh, be natural. He, I feel like he'd be a yeah fairly type A character. His whole voice has changed. Like in this, he could just he could have gone from the, from cliffhanger to nine hundred two one zero, and I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. But now he's very like a. Oh, what's going on, man? <laughs> he's got a, I don't know, I can't do his work. <laughs> he's got a very um, loose cannon, man. <laughs> yeah, he's got that, he's got like he's a worn a bit, out voice. Going a bit Gary Busey kind of. Yeah, I was going to say that. He's like a, he's, if, if Gary Busey's gone 10 steps, he's just gone a tasteful two and a mm, half steps. Mm. He's sort of you know, it's side just, by side uh, with James character Woods now, man. Yeah, maybe even like a Charlie Day from Always Sunny. Like there's, it's just like there's this, this bit of crazy energy there that yeah, makes you slightly yeah. uncomfortable, puts you on the edge of your seat. Mm. They're the one you watch at the house party. Yeah, yeah, keep an eye on that one. They're fun mm. at the beginning, but you've got to watch them at the end. Mm. They may pee on oh, your couch. Rooker's here. Um, <laughs> a fucking Rooker. All right, you're on Rooker duty. Um, 
Let's get into the verdict. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. I, I don't have a pithy thought here. I just think it's a pretty good movie. It's hard to put a number on this one too. Not the, mm. I don't think we officially do the number thing, but sometimes it's a nice way to put a little yeah. on it at the end. It's definitely a rewatch first mm. and foremost, but I, uh, I think it's also nice in terms of rewatchability. It's in this weird space where it is like it's a delight to see big shot on location cliffy things yeah. oh. versus versus green screens and shit. But at the same time, if it was made today, you'd have a Tom Cruise out there doing all his own stunts. So it's it's on the one hand you got this thing of like, yeah, it's nice to see something real. On the other hand, if it was made today, maybe it would be even more real. But a rewatch nonetheless. What about <laughs> you, Greg? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I enjoy this film. I watch it from time to time. I actually wanted to watch it yeah. again today. I thought it was. I, I wanted to do a double, but it's just a little bit too hyper violent um, to have on with a for the kids, nearly nearly five year old and two year old running around in lockdown. And there's a there is a little bit of boring middle syndrome too. Maybe there's not the entire bit. middle, but yeah, there's some bits. There's a, a little, bit. Yeah, there's something. There's some tightening. Yeah, it needs a little. It could do with a bit more twisting, perhaps. Yeah, um, yeah, like all love, those bad guys stabbing each other in the back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit, it's quite linear and obvious, I guess. Um, and then, and then, as I and say, then. what a collection of, yeah, what a collection of bad guys. Um, shout out, we didn't really talk too much to the the geezer, the Cockney geezer. He was a nice addition. <laughs> um, almost like the, the Vinnie Jones before we had Vinnie Jones. Um, yeah. And, uh, mate, all in all, it's just, I like mountain films. This is one of them. It's in the mountains. Yes. Yeah. Um, mate, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I give it four What stars. was that one? Four stars? Fair enough. What was that one a few years later? It was a mountain movie with oh, there's um, been heaps Chris Who's? Oh, Vertical Limit. Yeah. Was that good? Appa- apparently it's even, like this is one of the most hated movies by climbers. Oh, um, okay. And I think Vertical Limit is number one. Or like, yeah. <laughs> so it's good. It's that, that makes it sound like it's good. If you do, you don't like, want to watch it realistic. Nah, no, unless exactly. you're watching a doco. Yeah, yeah it's got to be ridiculous as possible. If we do like mountain films, might off topic a little bit, but the Iger sanction from the seventies with Clint Eastwood is a banger. Check it out. Oh really? Oh man, it's so good. Well, at least it was when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Right. Damn. Damn. Um, did Simpsons do it? I don't think so. Probably. Did you come across any? I didn't look, to be honest. Sorry. There was definitely a, uh, a porn parody. But no, I just remember from when I was younger, there was apparently a film called Titty Hanger. <laughs> um, Bechdel test. <laughs> no. Nowhere near. There's one female character. Oh, no, two, but they're opposed. Mm. FX test. I'd give it an overall yes. I'd give it an overall yes. What about recasties, Greg? You got any? Oh, look, I wanted it's an interesting to, I kind of got a bit sidetracked when I started scratching into this. Um, yeah. I like the idea of Tom Hardy being in this film. Yeah, yeah. 
So I first. Like he could be the bad guy or the good guy. Yeah. I or the friend. I had him as yeah. um as Hal first up. Yeah. The, ang- the angry friend who uh, Michael Rooker, angry friend who lost his wife, and then I was like, oh, but he's British, and I've just found out that Quail is meant to be British. So, <laughs> so I was like, well, he could be that guy <laughs> oh. too. And he's got a, he does, he and does he sounds a bit, thing a and little bit. Lithgow sounds a bit like Bane. Whoa, oh. wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. His Bane is doing Lithgow. Yeah. Yeah, inspired by, story by. Yeah, Man, voice there's by. something going on there. Voice by. Lithgow should have played Bane. That would have been something. <laughs> or Bane's dad. <laughs> Molded in, in the dark. <laughs> Go to your bedroom and turn off the light. <laughs> Ben, say thank you to Rhonda. <laughs> Molded by Rhonda. <laughs> now, Ben is in. <laughs> it works. It just, it's there. Ben, you clean your room. Yeah. <laughs> ben, no snacks before supper. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. Oh, wow. Wow. So maybe so it- the, the cliffhanger reboot is... Is Tom Hardy playing Thadqua's son? Maybe. Well, do you know what? Yeah. I didn't. We didn't talk about it. Seeking revenge. I, oh, of course. This is a revenge film. Mm. The part of me thought that this actually could be a natural sequel to First Blood, in that John Ransbo does his time. He doesn't get pulled out and go to back to Nam or what happens in Rambo. He finds a new passion. He just basically serves out his time for his whatever he gets for, you know, his efforts in First Blood and then basically just goes anonymously and starts a new life in the mountains and then this happens. Greg, that is bang on. It's very astute on your part. That's fucking perfect. That should be Rambo. Like it should be a backdoor sequel. You don't even know it's a Rambo film. And they just call him John throughout the movie or whatever. Mm. And then later on you hear someone go, John Rambo. You go, oh, that's the same guy. There's, and in this reality there's no other Rambo sequels. That's beautiful because something we talked about in First Blood was it feels like the sequels don't really do the character justice. Yeah. Someone who the last thing, I mean, yes, he doesn't know any world other than combat and maybe he thinks he wants to go back because he finds it fucked up in reality. But he finds peace in in. In hanging the cliffs, mm. it's a beautiful mm. thing, and they drag him and back Jessie. in. Jesse, she's she's Beb. She's Beb. Short we didn't babe. really talk about Jesse. We didn't because we're, yeah, cause short we're head above babe. that. <laughs> so we didn't talk about the female character at all. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get. Much uh, I mean, look, this is the catch twenty two of specialising in eighties and nineties movies. There, there's not a lot to the female characters. Unfortunately, when there is, we go deep, but this is not one of those occasions. Unfortunately, um, in the meantime, in the, in the meantime, stay safe, people. Stay safe. Support local. Stay home, Sydney folks. Uh, those around the world that don't have to stay home anymore, enjoy it. Um, we're happy for you. We we've had some sweet freedoms. It's a short term thing. Don't worry about us. We'll be all right. Mm. But don't everyone drink else, too much. Uh, don't That's drink me too talking much. Talking to me. Yeah, don't drink any more tonight, Tristan. Yeah, I'm have a whiskey. <laughs> it's whiskey time for me. Oh, that's not not a bad call. Maybe tiramisu that I bought today. 
Hey. All right. Enjoy. In the meantime, find us on Instagram, find us on TikTok, find us on the YouTube, and uh, we'll see you next week.